Alright, great. So thanks for coming everyone. Um, my name's Stoogie and uh, I'm going to talk about guitars and things. Um, so the aim today is to um, give loads of time to Q&A and things that you want to ask specifically as well. But um, I want to start by um, giving you a little bit of history and and then talking about how I've, uh, everything I do is based off the major scale, hence the, the handout, so you can put them down for a minute and not worry about that. Don't worry about those red dots for a, <laughs> a, a little while, but... Um, so, um, I've been playing guitar since I was 16, and um, I used to play drums. So I, I started by playing drums when I was 12 or 13, had a kit at home and annoyed the neighbours. Um, but then when I was 16 I started work, I left school, started work and with my first week's wages I went out and bought an album called Queen Life Killers um, and uh, as soon as I heard the opening track I want to be Brian May. Uh, it, was, it was that drastic. Um, I didn't just want to play like him, I wanted to be him. So um, my sister had a um, a little nylon string guitar and um, uh, so I um, she showed me one or two chords and uh, I worked out how to play the song I'm in love with my car off that record and uh, um, and that was it I was kind of smitten with trying to work out how people did everything they did on records and I spent probably the next two years um, every spare moment I had in my bedroom, I sold my drum kit, I got a little practice amp and a really bad guitar and started to, my journey on, on playing guitar and um, had uh, a tutor for a while and, um, and then um, started to play in a few local bands. And um, wasn't a Christian at the time. Um, and but someone gave me a Phil Kagi record. I don't know if you know who he is, but one of the most phenomenal guitar players in the world, I would say. And um, he uh, was doing a concert in London, and so my wife and I went to the concert and didn't realise that it. I mean, we felt a bit set up actually because it was kind of an evangelistic event, and uh, um, but we both made a made our commitment to follow Jesus then, and. Um, uh, went back to it to our hometown of Ipswich, and um, um, little by little, uh, just started to play in bands around town, and um, um, ended up moving to London because of a certain church there. And uh, we moved to London. They taught me how to lead worship, and uh, we travelled with our pastor and his wife and. Uh, we helped plant a church in Belgium and, uh, and led worship around south, the south of England and um, uh, wanted to have a band. So had a band, we're based in London, we used to, we were supported by the church but played in uh, uh, pubs and clubs around London and um, uh, a little while later, I started to play for some other people. Um, one being an uh, American worship leader called Kevin Prosh. 
don't know if anyone knows who that is, but um, uh, so I played for him whenever he was in the country, and um, and that was really the start of something really beautiful, um, uh, because he was the guy that really gave us permission to, like. Um, be excellent at our instruments and uh, and with sound and with tone and 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 what have you. It didn't have to fit a certain formula, and um, uh, and there was a couple of other people that were encouraged by him, which were one was Martin Smith, um, and another one was Matt Redman, who was like 17 years old at the time, and um, we were just these young guys from England, uh, just hungry to play music to the best of our ability. And um, and to worship God with it, and so um, I'm really cutting a lot out here because I want to get on to practicals. But um, ended up meeting up with Martin Smith and Tim Jupp, and uh, from uh, this youth event on the south coast called Cutting Edge, and um, ended up moving my family down there. My wife was six months pregnant and uh, had no work. Um, we I, I, I had a week's worth of work and. I went back to being an electrician and um, all that good stuff and and, uh, and that was the birth of Delirious. Um, and then, uh, so, you know, 20 years later or whatever, we Delirious finished and we moved to Nashville and uh, I live and work in Nashville uh, writing songs and playing guitar. Um, I play guitar for Michael W. Smith right now and um, my own project called One Sonic Society with um, yeah. uh, Jason Ingram and Paul Maybury. And uh, we're going to the studio in October actually to do some new stuff. Um, I play with a pop band called Johnny Swim occasionally. Um, and um, I kind of do whatever I can to stay, um, you know, pioneering and um, making music and uh, playing guitar. Uh, for a living because um, it, it's just in my bones, it's a passion that I have and uh, um, was privileged to come here a couple of years ago um, and uh, with One Sonic Society and, and uh, I think it might have even been this conference and um, we played here and um, helped uh, the D-Band boys with, um, with one of their records in Nashville and just such a privilege to be able to come here and play and share, you know, my journey with everyone, and and uh, just want to. Uh, so I'm available today to um, uh, for you to ask me anything, and um, if I can't answer it, I'll be honest. Um, but um, so, just very quickly then, um, I. Um, I pretty. This is pretty much, you know, much my setup nowadays. I normally have two amps. Um, I like to have either a Vox and a Marshall, or a Vox and a Fender, or sometimes I have two Voxes. It it really depends. Um, and um, I have a pedal board um, that's got quite a lot of junk on it. So we can talk <laughs> about that. We can talk about that in a minute. But um, uh, I like to have. Um, the Vox would normally be like a little bit brighter and a little bit honkier, and then uh, the Fender would be a little bit more rounder. And I like to blend the two, although I do use some stereo effects. Um, 
But first of all, before we get into all that, I want to show you um, a quick little warm-up that I've used for 30 years. Um, and it's as dumb as anything. Like, you can do this in front of the television, um, as long as you don't uh, annoy your wife. Um, but you don't need to be plugged in or anything. And uh, it's just a chromatic run up every string. And um, I do it um, from the bottom up and then all the way down again. And so uh, what I'm looking to do is to build finger strength and muscle memory in my, in my fingers. And it, and it just kind of loosens things up. Um, for. But I'll, I'll do it without thinking while I'm talking to people or reading a chart on a session or something, um, just to help me warm up. Um, so, and it, this is it. It really is dumb, so be prepared to be blown away. Right? <laughs> just, a, just a chromatic run all the way up. And I'm doing it really slow and uh, keeping my fingers fretted. Um, so obviously, you know, four frets and then the next string. fast or whatever but I like to everything I do and everything I practice I do slow so that I don't make any mistakes um, and you know if I'm if I miss a fret or whatever I just start again and um, and uh, as boring as that is um, it's like I said it's just about the muscle memory and about strengthening up your tendons and your fingers and um, uh, you know <coughs> You don't get anything without practicing, whatever it is, you know, whether it's uh, in terms of songwriting or, or anything. So, um, so that's one of the things I do. Then, um, like I said, <clears throat> everything that I've learned and every, all my playing, everything, whether you're a fan of the uh, Delirious stuff and the Investigate solo or, um, yeah. or, or any, anything I've ever done, all comes out for me from the major scale. So, um, so take a look at the at the sheets there, um, and I'll just show you a couple of of, of them, um, so that you, you can then uh, you know take it away and, and have a look at it yourselves. And forgive me if this is kind of below your um, your your level of uh, you know musical ability, or whatever. But this is how like, I, I I kind of. I still look at this really simply um, and um, continue to like my journey with trying to master every position on the neck. So um, we know that the, the major scale has um, eight notes octave to octave, right? So it's, um, let's, let's look at that. We're in C, right? So um, the first position would be the one, right? There. And um, so it's. Uh, 
if you look at the, the sheets, what, what I've done is um, in position one, um, uh, this is what it looks like, this is what it sounds like to what you're looking at, right? So it's kind of, again, just really slow. trying to fret all the fingers again um, it's just again this is just purely for kind of muscle memory and um, and get familiar with the trying to get familiar with the shapes um, I see it as, very, as a very visual thing um, so I, I see shapes so like uh, I'd be looking at to me that's in twos like So that's position one on there. The reason I do it slow, and um, I'll just show you this. Oftentimes, I do it with a um, metronome. be doing it with a metronome like this again just so that I don't make any mistakes right um, if I was just alone in my room I wouldn't be happy with that kind of like little squeak there um, and I'd make sure that I could do it just keep doing it until it's, I'm making no mistakes. And then I'd look at like position two, um, which is the second note in the major scale, which is the D of, of C. Um, Fourth one. 
Jack Robbins. But uh, her other character said it brings us back to, to Doug. <laughs> um, so the reason I do that and the reason I do it slow is so I don't make mistakes, but what that's doing is it's um it's giving me it's getting into my memory the what the fretboard does and what the shapes look like around the chords. So for instance, let's let's look at see the C shape here. Um, you know, and if, if all of a sudden I've got to come up with a line or some kind of soloing, I can I can see that um, you know I can do the fourth. kind of recognize the shapes but that's from just doing that for time and time again for years and years and years and um, you know, in the first position obviously but you know you, you can start to like recognize the shapes and pick it out of having to do the whole scale so and um, um, and I would do that with um, uh, in different keys as well and uh, uh, I've just given you C as an example. Um, so um, I know that most of you will, will probably know that um, you know each key has like its relative minor, or and then we have like the sort of pentatonic type scale and things like that. And um, um, I like to think, like I personally think about everything out of a major scale. So, for instance, if um, if we're playing in A minor. thinking that's how I've like learned to play in different keys and with you know with the minor stuff and you know I, I particularly like the um, uh, throwing in a major seven lick um, uh, using, using the sevens um, think of something like that all right so um, I kind of like that sort of vibe so uh, that is the major scale, and, and like I said, I, I would do that. Um, uh, this is a great thing. Uh, Mark W. Smith does his when he does his kind of little worship section, little medley in the middle of his shows. It's pretty much all in B flat um, or C sharp, so um, like major. So uh, um, you know, and for most of us guitarists, that's a real challenge. Right, because you know, people don't think that we have black notes, but um, we definitely do. So, you know, B flat. You know, when I first started to think about doing all the finding all the shapes in B flat, and it kind of looks all odd, you know. But then, you know, I would just start to, you know, uh, practice the major scale in B flat and uh, start to recognise the 
the shapes there and, and then the chords, you know, so... Uh, and then I'd realise that, okay, so I recognise that as, as like the relative minor being C, uh, G minor. So then all of a sudden it starts to become familiar again. And uh, so, you know, if we have to... Um, if he then looks at me and says, go and play or something, you know, I, I can... I can fiddle around in B flat now and uh, and not worry about it too much. But um, it all comes from that crazy little exercise that I've been doing for 30 years, um, and I find it really helpful. And just wanted to pass that on. Um, is that does that make sense? Is there any any questions about that? Um, yeah. Yes. Who asked the question? Yeah. Um. Uh, for me personally, like the whole like soloing thing is a little difficult because I just I know there's like you know there's eight notes in the major scale and I just don't know which one to play at the right time. Right. Like because uh, like you know when I'm saying a worship song with like three or four chords, you go through the entire time. If you want to like solo through it, um, say like you land on the B and you land on like a completely different note and it sounds really bad. Like, right. Yeah. I just don't know which one you know, to play on. Like how do you figure that out? Uh huh. Uh, so. Um, uh, how do you figure that out? Like, um, well, if you if you're, you know, if, if the chord that you're finishing on is a D, like the easy way to figure that out is to like make sure you land on a D. Like that that's for one thing. You know, um, uh, so like that, that wasn't being silly. That was like it's just there's a lot of notes to choose from, right? So um, uh, so I I often take the easy way out on, on things like that when I when I'm on the spot and I don't want to make a mistake. Um, you know, I'll make sure that I land on the, the chord, uh, on the root of the chord that is <coughs> now going to happen, that the rest of the band's going to land on. Um, um, but the uh, the other thing I would say is just like practice that. Like, um, I don't have one here, but uh, uh, I've got a, I, I normally have a looper on my board and I'll like, you know, play different uh, chord sequences. Um, and just practice um, soloing that section uh, or playing the instrumental to that section. Like the, the, I find the best way of, uh, in, in terms of worship and playing in church, is really base everything off the melody of the song. So like if you're soloing over the bridge, you know, like get the melody of the bridge that people sing in your brain. Um, once you can kind of sing it, you can play it. Like I, I really believe that because you can hear when it's wrong, right? So, um, uh, so that's what I do. Is I like I'll, you know, learn to play the melody of the verse if you're if they want an instrumental verse, um, and then you can kind of base everything around that. Um, so that's what I would do. Like practice playing the melody of the song, and um, and. You know, if you do it enough times, it, it, it starts to become familiar, and then you look at the the fretboard and um, and say, "Oh yeah, I remember this from my scales. I can actually play play the four, and uh, and that would work." So, yeah. So all the different scale positions are just the same scale, just in different. Yes, in different positions. So uh, and yes. Because the third one starts on like. The position three? Yeah. Isn't that like a G sharp that it starts out on? Like a fourth fret? Or on, um... Oh, it backwards. Uh, on... In, in, in C, you mean? Yeah. Uh, okay, I, I'm looking at it. 
the three is the E. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But these are these are all C major scale. That's right. And then if you want to do uh, if you want to do would do D, you would shift it. Yes. You just take it and shift it all up. That's two right. Frets. The same shapes. Exactly the same, same shapes. shapes, but just on different frets. And is it worth getting the one the the work one for like minor scale? And um, doing the same kind of thing, or just stick I would with say um, that. Uh, well, I, I play everything from the major scale, so um, you know um, because. I don't want to get too too uh, theory uh, illogical. I don't know how, what the word is for that, but um, but um, you know the the second note of um, of C in the uh, uh, in the scale is D, right? If you play the C major scale um, and start on D and finish on D, uh, someone help me. You're playing the Dorian mode, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so like all the modes come out of the major scale, um, and that is, um, you know, Google search that and watch Steve Vai or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not too long because you'll get a little bit uh, disappointed. <laughs> but uh, um, uh, so I, I, I use a, a modal approach. Um, I mean, I'll play a. I'll play a blues kind of pentatonic scale, but I'm still thinking about C when I'm playing that in A minor. You know. So, um, any other questions about the um, the scales? Still, like when you're yeah. working on, you know, you base base it off the melody to do a solo and something. Yep. How do you how do you envision doing that melody, but with more than one string, like more than one note at a time? Because mm -hmm. it's easy to do it with one note at a time, but I've seen like when you play like two or three notes at a time, yeah, they set up like the major scale, but with chords and yes. notes. Yes. Yes. So, um, for instance, um, Greatness of Our God, uh, with the, the one song society song. Um, When it goes, the chorus, for instance, and no sky contains. So, but what I'm doing there is I'm actually playing. I'm only playing two notes, so it's kind of like a melodic thing, but it's just parts of the chords. about it is uh, I think about it, it in terms of the chord changes and the scales you know I'm, I'm recognizing that okay, so here, the uh, you know, recognizing the, the scale positions and um, you know and I'm think I'm kind of thinking about that without thinking about it does that make sense yeah yeah but I'm, I'm kind of just remembering the chord changes and trying to do that yeah. You mentioned like trying to figure out how to learn how to play with Michael yeah. playing everything in B flat. Yeah. So a lot of times as, as a guitarist you'll learn a lick in the native key like like rain down. 
Yep. And then you get like the droning string playing off of for that lick. Yeah. And then somebody goes, oh, you know what? D is too high. I want to play that B now. What's the best way to go about finding those? Yeah. Like transposing specific licks like that that have I know, I know, that, that's difficult. The way I've done it in the past is having another guitar that's tuned down. Yeah. And uh, like because, like with Majesty for instance, you know, I play Majesty um, like this. But, you know, because that they're the shapes that I like to see, that I like to hear, you know, I have, I can't sing that in D which is what that is. Um, so Delirious used to do it in C, live, uh, but with one Sonic Society would do it in B. So, I, But I always have a guitar down. A couple of times when I haven't had a second guitar, um, to answer your question about rain down, I actually don't know how I would do that because uh, <laughs> I've not had to think about that other than with, uh, with a second guitar. Right. Um, but um, uh, uh, I have on the fly done Majesty in B in standard tuning uh, just by you know by, by kind of like fluffing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd have to think about it now. Right? <laughs> Get dropped sure you've got a female vocalist for rain down just in case. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's the honest answer to that is I haven't ever had to think about it other than just have another guitar tuned down. Yeah. <laughs> it's essentially we wouldn't be on the fly that much no more. No, that's right. That's right. Prepared for yeah. Right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but that's you know, like I generally if if I'm say uh, the worship leader at our church asks me to play with them that Sunday or whatever, then I'll make sure I've got a song list and, you know, I mean, you probably will use Planning Centre or something similar. And uh, so, you know, what key do you want to do that in? And then, you know, I'll put some thought into how I'm going to do it before we get there. Yeah. yeah. I've got a question. Yes. So, say like some of the guitar riffs that you come up came up with for Delirious. Yeah. Would you just write that and then give it to Martin and he would come up with some lyrics or how did you usually create stuff or was it he right. wrote a song and he's like, hey, slap something on. Right, no, no, we used to collaborate on pretty much everything. So um, uh, in the earlier days, um, we would write songs 100% each and then like choose the best ones or what we thought were the best ones. Um, but after King of Fools, um, we pretty much uh, collaborated on most songs after that. So a couple of things come to mind with, with that question. One is um, uh, investigate. So we were, for some reason, we were at a store called Chandler Guitars in London. And uh, uh, Martin was like, wow, Stu, look at that. Um, and it was a... Uh, really old dobro and um, 
uh, and he said, that's your guitar, like, I, I think that's your guitar. And I got it down from the shelf, we were just laughing around really. But, um, but for whatever reason, the very first thing that I played on it was... And I hadn't played that on anything before. And um, so in the, in the shop there, we were like, oh, that's cool. And, um, and he actually bought me that guitar right there and then. <laughs> and then we went away and wrote that song. Um, and then another one is um, um, uh, the Solid Rock song on Christ the Solid Rock. Um, so, um, and that also was started off on that dobro. Um, and uh, and I, um, so I'd been messing around. I, I had a little writing space and was, and had come up with the. Uh, and, um, I'd recorded that and kind of looped it, and then kind of came up with this. Um, And then had this other section. Oh, I can't remember the next chord, but um, uh, <laughs> so I, I kind of came up with all that and, and then recorded it and uh, and sent him that. And then he sent me back. Even though we're kind of seeing each other every day, um, but when we were in writing mode, we would always have this month of uh, pulling all our ideas from the year that we'd been on the road and on our phones or, you know, notepapers or whatever, and we, we would just gather stuff ourselves and but be sending stuff to each other before we got together. And then he sent me back with that, the melody of, um, uh, I think I'd said something about, I, I really like that old hymn on Christ the Solid Rock or something, and, and he, he sent me back with, with singing over my recording. You know, and he he um, he sent that back to me, and I was like, "Oh, great, let's get together." You know, and I've I've still got those recordings. Um, uh, just, and sometimes in a songwriting thing, we'll talk about that and I'll play them or whatever. But that that's how that song came about. Yeah. Um, any other questions off the bat, or just do I talk about? Yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear you uh, talk a little bit about creating tone. Uh-huh. Um, crafting tone, particularly in a worship guitar yeah. kind of setting. Okay, cool. Um, how you approach that. That's great. So, um, uh, so you'll hear that, that the way I've set this sound up here with no effects, um, I'm completely bypassed everything here. Um, and it's, um, uh, it's really clean. I like to set up amps. Like pretty much for, for worship stuff, I'll um, I'll set the amps up um, uh, with no kind of kind of hint of crunch on it at all. So even with the kind of bridge pickup, it's kind of strong, but it's still not kind of crunchy. Does that make sense? Because um, uh, in the studio. Um, over the years, uh, you know, there are times when I'll crank an amp up to, to get all the distortion from the amp or whatever. Um, but I've really loved to discover the pedal thing and, uh, 
Um, and I love what pedals do to a clean amp um, rather than an overdriven amp uh, because, <coughs> especially with fuzz pedals. So once, I, once we were making the Glow record and I was getting into fuzz pedals and I, I was basically, you know, a Billy Corgan fan at this point. And, um, um, and I was working with this producer who um, was a real expert on, on guitar tones and what have you. I learned so much from him. Um, but we were kind of messing around and discovering. We had, we had the, the um, ability to, um, uh, the, the time to be able to experiment and stuff like that. And we would just experiment with fuzzers. And, you know, to be honest, the best fuzz tones really come from solid state amps because there's just no saturation. Um, so like we would we would like record some of the stuff direct into the board, um, but anyway, that, that's a uh, digression. Uh, in uh, in terms of the amps, you know, the cleaner, the the more headroom there is for the fuzz to really kind of be super dynamic. So so I I um, uh, I tend to pretty much always uh, set set the amps up to be clean. And then, so, um, I want to have the ability to swell things and have this kind of create atmosphere. Um, and I want to have the ability to have something that's kind of, um, kind of a, a smoother kind of overdrive just to add a little bit more power. And I want to have something that if, if called upon, I can like play a melody and it will come out over the top of the band or whatever. Um, so I'm just, like in a basic setup, I would be, I would have a volume pedal, I'd have an overdrive pedal of some sort, and uh, some kind of delay pedal or reverb or something. Um, um, so this is kind of a fancy version of, the, of, of, of that simplicity. Um, so, um, this thing. So this is that tone, that clean tone, with just a little bit of compression and a little bit of um, delay. Uh, so that just might be a basic kind of, um, uh, uh, let me think. Uh, So that's really just kind of, uh, just with a little bit of delay. And then uh, if I wanted to add a, a, a little bit of crunch onto that. I would set that up uh, to the point where, uh, this is, so this is without the overdrive. That's with it, and I'd just wind the overdrive in until such a point as I'm kind of happy with the tone of it. For, like, for most worship settings, that kind of tone is is, is pretty strong. You know, it's kind of um, you don't want to be like too overpowering. Um, but then this particular pedal has the boost on it that I can then play out. So. Um, Really, there. 
I'm just using like three pedals, uh, the overdrive, a little bit of compression and, and some delay. Um, so, so that's that and then um, um, on here I've got like a, an overdrive that definitely isn't a transparent overdrive, it's kind of in your face. Um, so this is, that's more your rock and roll kind of overdrive and I'll have a setting with that with a little bit of delay. That's with like an analog delay, then this is with the uh, rain down delay. Um, and then I will have a full on fuzz pedal as well. Kind of like turned it down for the room, um, <laughs> uh, um, and then I would have something that adds a little bit of chorus um, modulation. Uh, just to give another flavour, I've got a one with the flange on, which is the same. Big fan of 80s guitar music, so uh, I'm, I'm kind of bringing, uh, bringing chorus and flanger back big time. Um, um, the ability to, uh, to tap tempo is a big thing nowadays, especially post Edge, you know, and like uh, U2 and what they've done, uh, which I've completely ripped off my whole career, obviously. Um, <laughs> Thing and I can, you know, take that different tempo. Um, and then uh, the tones to create ambience, uh, of which I use two. I have one that's 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 kind of made up of. Um, uh, clean reverb and a stereo delay. So um, if I just show you what the delay does first, um, I've just got it set to this. So one's a dotted eighth and one's a quarter note. Um, if I add the reverb into that, uh, but if I swell in, it kind of like creates this lush kind of Increase the the feedback of that delay to make it last even longer and be even more lush. same thing but with uh, like a little octave above it um, and I have that 
on something called the organizer here. A lot of, lot of you will probably use pogs or something. This is a similar thing to a pog or whammy. Um, and then I have like a shimmer setting on the, on the reverb uh, that will be very familiar to, to a lot of you. tricks on there really. Bass player and Smitty himself, who oh, plays okay. so piano. It's not like an orchestra or anything. No, no, he does orchestra stuff like once a year. Like December will be an orchestra okay. thing. Or I guess my question would be: Does the size of the band kind of dictate the tone you're trying to create? Like, do you find with one Sonic, if you guys are doing like a trio kind of setup, you need to fill a lot more space? Absolutely. I used a lot more ambience and I, and I, and, um, I just forgot to put my looper on because that, that's quite a fun thing to show you. Uh, but yeah, I create pads and beds um, because sometimes we don't do it with a keyboard player. So it's not so much with the amps that you're adjusting all those sounds, it's more just like the sonic space you're filling yeah. with loops or samples? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, in, um, if I was about to play for Smitty now, uh, then this, the, the sound here, I don't know if it's the room or whatever, but it's slightly too bottom endy. It's, it's okay. too kind of full, you know, I'd kind of take some, I'd, I'd work on the EQ a little bit more. Just and to leave space for the other members. Yeah, the yeah, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, when you talk about tone, is that a Jaguar pickup on the bridge? It is. Yeah, that's <coughs> uh, So this is a new guitar for me. Um, it's a cross between a Jaguar and a Strat. Okay. So I've got like, these are Strat pickups and that's a Jaguar. Because um, <coughs> your clean tone sounds a little fatter than a regular Strat sounds like for single pads. Right. More, is it your setup or? Um, so, uh, so that's the, this is the Jaguar. Uh, which is fairly typical of a slightly thin mm -hmm. kind of guitar, right? Or do you mean that that sounds fatter? That or sounds fatter than a regular right. strap, yeah. Right. And, uh, it's a 5% switch, so it's got that. Get that thing, middle one. Yeah. This is one of my favourite sounds, actually, at the minute. Um, situation is like you know it kind of picks up a little bit more noise than I than I'd like. Fluorescence. Yeah it's fluorescence and yeah. So um how are we doing for time? Uh four twenty. 
we've, got, we've still got a little bit of time, haven't we? Yeah. 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 So um, yeah. So just fire away with any anything you want to know or yeah. This may be a little bit of a throwback here, but I remember as a teenager trying to learn my glorious. Uh huh. And uh, it always puzzled me because I it sounded like a nice like dirty tone, but like it had a lot of open use. Would you mind just playing that? Sure. If you, if you remember. So. Um, uh, uh, so it'd be something like this. Um, so I don't have a, I don't have a wire pedal on this board. Uh, so I don't. This is another thing. Like everything's a compromise nowadays. Like with flying, and uh, you know I've managed to get this board. This is the um, the least amount of compromise for me that I've been able to get under fifty pounds. <laughs> um, but I don't have a um, weight, I mean, uh, I, I don't have a wire pedal on there. I have a kind of <coughs> fake one, like, uh, but, um, uh, so anyway, so I can't do that, uh, sure. that part of that sound, but, um, so we're in uh, A, or F, uh, starts on the F sharp minor, right? So yeah, it's kind of open, like with that, I'm kind of using that kind of more of a comment by the way it's like I mean, um, and, uh, and uh, I, I've always used a volume pedal uh, so I'd, I'd get a volume pedal a tuner um, and then something like um, some kind of overdrive that is um, uh, I'm trying to think like I mean this is brilliant I, I love the full drive um, by full tone uh, but they do something called an OCD, that's cool. They, um, um, I really like the Timmy pedal as well. Um, but, you know, like, um, the best thing to do really is to, um, I mean, I hate Guitar Center, but I love it at the same time, because you can just go in and like try something, you know? So, uh, like, try and, uh, you know, replicate the sort of, amp that you've got, whatever, and guitar, and, and like just try a few out, but um, there are just so many overdrive pedals, that's, it's ridiculous nowadays. Uh, but something that does, that, something that's a little bit creamy and that, that will take your signal and kind of not make it sound too over the top, but 
um, a little bit fuller, a little bit creamier, and an overdrive, whatever, something that you can step on and it kind of boosts it maybe. Um, and then a, a, I think delay. I think you need to have a delay pedal, and, and everything sounds better with delay in my book. <laughs> and so, like, um, I, I used to say that I wish you could get a delay pedal for life. Um, until someone said, yeah, but when you make a mistake, it keeps repeating. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <coughs> um, Come back at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, Just less you know, I, like my, my, I really love the even tide delays. That, that's high budget, right? But the um, like the Boss DD D5, brilliant pedal, love them. Um, so something like that. I really like the TC Flashback. Um, that's a really good delay pedal as well. Um, so I think that's a killer little rig. Yeah. Are any of the the combo ones, you know, the, like the ones that Line Sick make, are any of those any any good? Are they decent? Not worth the trouble? I I, I would never say not worth the trouble. I, I think it's it's all down to what you feel comfortable with and what you think sounds good. You know, um, like I've uh, I've had stomp boxes and separate amps for thirty years, and that you know it's hard for me to get out of that um, that thought. So. Um, uh, you know, I've played around a little bit with some of the multi-effects units and I don't really like them. I, I like the Line 6 uh, M9s and, uh, and like the M5, the M9, the M13, I really like them for delays and um, and reverbs and modulation and stuff like that. I think they're really good tools. Um, but that's as far as I go in terms of like the multi-effects thing. Um, uh, when I've played with for my own personal kind of choice, when I've messed around with like the Line 6 amps and what have you, I think they're all very good and useful and stuff like that, but not for me. Yes? Um, when I run two amps, what yeah. I've noticed, and I, have, I have the exact box amp there, I don't yeah. have the speakers in it, but um, it seems like I start losing tone. Okay. Like, I don't know, have you ever encountered something like yeah. that where, because, like, I'm like, I even separated them thinking I was kicking a mic out of phase yeah. Or, yeah. or something, but I always, you know, when I unplug the one side and stop running Yeah, the area, it kind of jumps into life a little bit? Yeah. Okay, so, uh, it could be that the that one is out of phase with the other, that's like the first thing I would look at. Um, and there's, there's two types of fixes for that. Um, I can show you, if... It's getting a little bit technical now, but I can show you what an out of phase thing sounds like. So this is um, right. These amps at the moment are in phase. Let's get it kind of. Um, but they're now out of phase. Uh, you, you need to kind of come put your head down, down here because it kind of goes it, it kind of goes weird and you lose bottom end. They're back in there. So um, uh, I've got a phase switcher on this on my loop, looper here that, that flips the phase on on one amp. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing is how how they're split or how the signals split. Like if you're coming out of a pedal, um, you know, like a a boss delay or something, that that should be fine. That that 
to be fine, but um, oftentimes when you're splitting a signal like um, like uh, like from a volume pedal, um, unless that the tuner out is isolated and, and buffered. Um, uh, you're actually degrading the signal path uh, by about 3 dB or something. So, um, uh, so I, I kind of cut that all out of my rig. I, I, I have a buffer in my rig. Um, anything going to the tuner is like isolated. Um, it's not degrading the signal at all. So um, I'd look at that as well. Maybe having a box like uh, I use a company called the Gig Rig and they have a box called the Humdinger and that is made specifically for um, you know splitting out into two amps. Um, thank you. That's alright. Yes. Got a question. I yeah. play electric guitar quite a bit at my church and I've felt the tension of like thinking a lot about what I'm playing and then trying to actually connect with Jesus. Mm -hmm and give my heart to him. Mm -hmm. So I know you've played a lot. How do you, just that, I know there's attention, I know it's worship just to mm -hmm. play and to play well. Yeah. But two what things. are your thoughts on that? Yeah, two thoughts on that. One is that when we are asked to do that, we're, act, we're, we're kind of doing it for other people. So the most important thing is how is the room like? Um, and the like concentrating on your playing is probably the and being aware of what is going on <laughs> with the other musicians is probably your priority at that point because um, uh, you know our job is to get under the congregation and and, and to help lift them up, you know, um, and. Everything's about service at that point for me. Um, so it's not about, uh, you know, my first thought is not about how am I getting a lot of good worship time out of this. Um, it's about actually helping other people. Um, secondly, though, um, the uh, the more you practice, like um, if I um, I could really engage with God in the delirious shows because. We were we played that stuff all the time, and you could almost do it with your eyes shut and um, what have you. So, um, so we had some amazing times of like connection there uh, because uh, we don't have to think about the music or the, you know. But um, uh, when you're a volunteer in your, in your church worship team, your priority is to serve the worship leader and the congregation and uh, keep your ear out to the rest of the guys. <coughs> Make sure that you're not, you know, doing anything that's distracting, really, I would say. And maybe that's my, uh, yeah. you might want to push back or comment on that, but. How do you like the organizer? I love it. Um, uh, let me show you. So you can actually,
So I, I have the organizer set up just with an octave up, but you can actually add. direct out if you want. <coughs> so if I put a little bit of, um, oh this might be over the top, if I put a little bit of reverb on that, you can actually make it sound a little bit organ-like. differently because all I'm concerned about really in in my setup here is the the higher octave gotcha. um, and and for it to help the shimmer vibe um, so uh, and sometimes I'll be using that uh, uh, yeah for me it really is about the high octave so um, even sometimes it just adds that little bit of lift to a solo or something yeah um, so and I don't own a pog um, so that's, I, I have a whammy at home and, and it's, um, I had a whammy and an organiser and um, that when it comes to putting this together it's about real estate. Right, of course. So uh, um, I have seen actually, there's a there's a little square thing, I'm, mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone's seen that, an octave thing. It's about that big. Might be over 50 pounds with that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, the eternal search for uh, something that yeah. works, something, well, yeah, and it can fly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I feel like I'm hogging all the questions. That's right. About miking your amp, how do you, where do you place your mic? Do you have um, reason for what you do? Uh, so I've worked with loads of different engineers and producers over the years and, and everyone seems to have their own little things. The, the common, most common uh, uh, thing, especially live, is a 57 just off center, somewhere between the cone and the, and the edge. Um, but, um, and so uh, when I'm like micing up in the studio, if it's up to me, um, I like to use a ribbon mic and because uh, they're a little bit fatter um, and mix that in with a dynamic mic like a 57 or something and and I'll probably choose to go a little bit off-center um, but sometimes I'm kind of like I'll, I won't close mic at all I'll come off you know maybe a foot or something and just get a little bit more of the fullness um, it really depends on the on the song but generally somewhere between the the cone and the edge of the speaker is 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 pretty good. Would everyone agree with that? Or yeah. like the, if and then um, I don't have any EQ in my chain going to tape or to Pro Tools. So um, uh, so sometimes you're moving the microphone to like either make it brighter or yeah. or less bright. 
So cone is brighter, edge is left right. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's asked this yet. What do you do about uh, power supply? Like, wh which one do you use? Like, I know that people go like, hey, let's go cheap on one spot, or you know, yeah. some people like higher and stuff. What do you? Um, actually, um, like once you start getting into um, uh, like building something that you that that you're kind of like making for your living, um, uh, power is really really important. So. Um, I use the gig rig generator system, which is like you get the you. You're welcome to come and look at it, um, but um, let me show you. Um, so I don't know if you can see this, but uh, it's not that that neat of a wiring job but uh, the uh, the generator sits here it's a uh, kind of about yeah. roughly the size of a pedal um, and that gives uh, five amps of um, of nine volt power uh, so quite a lot and then um, you see these little distribution Thanks, TSA. <laughs> <laughs> um, these little di distribution boxes. So some of them are um, isolated in terms of transformers. They're transformers, so um, uh, you know the the power to the pedals are completely separate from the rest of the the power. Uh, that's because some overdrive pedals cause a hum on the system. Uh, this little polytune, the little uh, tuner that I use, the TC one, um, I was getting a real bad noise every time it was trying to tune. Well, not real bad, I could hear it, it was go, go, and then if there was nothing on there it would like stop and then come like back like that. And uh, so I just got an adapter and isolated it. Uh, on the mains, not nothing to do with the audio, and it completely stopped it. So, uh, so the the power is really important, um, and I, I like this system because it's modular. You know, you can add to it, subtract from it. Um, uh, all of the digital pedals are isolated with their own adapters, and um, it just helps. Like if if you can, I don't want to get into situations where I have to fault find hums. Right, so if we build something and we eliminate the harm at the building stage, like then it's just a lot less, it's a lot more stress-free when you get to a venue. Um, I have noticed though, in this is a, might be a little bit of a generalization, but um, unless there's real good tech power in the USA on stages, there's normally a problem. There's normally so, some kind of noise um, to do with the mains. Um, so that's 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 what I use. What kind of cables are you using? Uh, lava tightrope. So they are solderless cables. Um, again, this is all to do with weight for me. Um, so uh, um, they're they're real lightweight um, solderless connection, but solid. They're not like. 
the um, I don't want to blaspheme about George Ells, but you know I've had terrible trouble with them over the years. Um, you know, turning up after a flight and something not working, and then you're like trying to find which one it is, and oh, it's a nightmare. Um, I've flown all around the world with this and never had one cable go down. Um, plus, it's about a pound and a half lighter um, with this with these cables. So they're a solid core system. They have a solid copper core, and the 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 connector actually screws onto the core, um, so you can't actually pull it off. So um, it's uh, it's really solid. Yeah, there's two companies that make it. One's called Evans Audio, and one's called Lava Cable. Can you just walk through what you have and maybe why you chose it on your board? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ernie Ball Volume Pedal Junior, because it was smaller than the the volume pedal, um, but you know they're not the best. These aren't the best. Strings break. I have about three of them that I can swap in and swap out when a string busts. Um, but the reason I've stuck with this is because I use a buffer, and um, it kind of takes care of the the problems of a of a potentiometer-based volume pedal. Um, uh, then uh, the full-time o- overdrive. The full drive two, um, I've had this for maybe 15 years or more, um, and uh, um, it's based on a tube screamer, um, but it has the boost, the boost on it, which uh, and that's it's just something that I've grown to uh, be used to and miss if it's not there. Um, then I have a, I used to use these little silver pedals called X-Bandora. Um, so for, like for instance, on, uh, on Mesomorphous, if you're familiar with that record, like all those tones really came from the X-Bandora and the Les Paul. And um, uh, the, they were a, a little round silver pedal that sounded awesome, but had, and had these dip switches inside that you could change the gain structure. And, uh, um, and so although they've told me not to tell you about this, this is a pedal I'm working on with a company called JHS, and um, we, we've put the switches on the outside, we've based it off the X-Bandora, but we've added some features to it. So, um, so, it's, so it's, it's, it's really cool. Uh, so I use that for like big overdrives. Then uh, um, I use a Barbara, Barber Tone Press Compressor. Um, and the reason I used that was because at the time it was one of the only compressors that that you could blend the original attack in with the compressed signal. Um, so I've kept that, and I've just again just why change it if it's not broke, you know? Um, then um, this th- this thing called the Tone Bakery Bakery Creme Brulee. Uh, that's a Clon Centaur clone, but really cheap, and uh, um, and I just have it without any gain. It's just at Unity, and uh, no no gain, uh, and just have. Ah, oh, that's why it's a little bit dark. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Doofus. <laughs> <laughs> 
Just hope the treble's all the way off. And I was thinking, that doesn't sound very bright in here. Anyway. Uh, where's that tech when you need it, right? Start all over again. I know, right? Um, so, uh, so I just have that on because it kind of like, it adds a little bit of sparkle to the sound. Um, and then I have my main delays are the even tide time factor, uh, but I have a Panther Cub the, uh, from JHS, which is a bucket chip, bucket brigade chip delay analog, kind of like a Memory Man, although it's really different. I, I still prefer the Memory Man, but there's not enough room on my board for one. Um, but it has the tap tempo and what have you. It's cool. Uh, the organizer for the um, uh, the octaves, um, the Eventide H9 for all my reverbs and chorusing, flanging, and some extra harmonizing stuff. Um, and then the mini foot fuzz, uh, just because um, on my delirious touring board I used to have <coughs> the Zvex Fuzz Factory and uh, um, but I wanted a smaller footprint on here um, because in the gap that you see that's open I want to put a, a looper in there. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> for box style amps do you usually use just like a backline AC15 or like what do you have more of a boutique amp that you use for like recording and stuff? Or like um, for recording I use um, uh, well, I, I, I mean, I'm lucky because I've been out to collect some amps over the years. So I've got um, a 62 AC30. I've got a 73 uh, Marshall Plexi. Um, and uh, just some great vintage amps. Um, at the moment in my studio is um, a 90s Korg era uh, AC30, which is, sounds incredible. And then um, a Morgan... Uh, Amp, which is kind of based off a of basement, Fender basement. So that's what I'm using to record right this minute. Um, but then on the road with Michael, um, I'm using a Marshall Bluesbreaker and a Jackson Ampworks um, Britain 30, which is their AC30 uh, model. Do you notice a huge difference between the JMI AC30 and the 90s AC30? Like, are they completely um, different amps? Or? Completely different. Um, the uh, because my JMI is not a top boost, mm. uh, so um, but the the nineties one is, um, but so I've got like best of both worlds in some ways, um, but I've got a hand wired AC fifteen as well, which I love, mm. and I take that round if I get called, say, oh, can you come to a session this afternoon? I like yeah. put that in the car and cool. um, and do that. Yeah. What is your signal chain? Or is it just it's all run through that? Um, so, so it does all come through the the, the gig rig G two, um, but uh, first thing in line is the fuzz. Um, the next thing in line is the compressor. Um, the next thing in line is the full drive, and then the uh, my other big overdrive. And then it's the the clon deal. Um, so I kind of have all my 
uh, I, I always have the fuzz first because fuzz it, it just comes from back when when I used to have the germanium type things and they just want to see a guitar signal so um, uh, so that's an old habit that dies hard for me because <laughs> I don't know what's in the mini foot fuzz um, but then I'll have my gain structure in the overdrive first and then um, and then I go to the organizer um, and then I go to the uh, uh, the panther cub uh, the, the analog delay because that's mono mm -hmm. and then I go to the reverbs and then I go to the delays at the end uh, my, my volume pedal is inserted between the overdrives and so it comes after the overdrive okay. before everything else Oh, do that, so back have, time. Yeah. You do that so you have fuller saturation and distortion on your swells. Yeah, um, and I flip between what I prefer on that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, sometimes I like how the how how a lower gain in, interacts with the pedal. You know, kind of. But for the <coughs> Smitty show, um, there's a couple of things where I swell in and I want it to be definitely an overdrive coming in. You know, so that's that's why I've done that on this. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. One last question. Yeah. What's maybe your favorite or most memorable thing about touring with Delirious and being a part of that? Um, my most memorable gig was uh, the Greek Theatre in uh, California, uh, and. Uh, we were, it was summer and we were playing outside, we had a full, I don't know how many that holds, 4,000 or something, and um, uh, they played the Investigate solo under the stars, like that was, that was um, amazing. And then, uh, uh, and then I think like my favourite country in the world is India, so, um, uh, and Delirious, you know, uh, I went there because of Delirious and kind of, got messed up with the, uh, the poverty and the wealth and just kind of fell in love with that. So that's one of my favorite things about, so the Greek, India, and then just the camaraderie and passion. Like we really had a vision and a passion of what we wanted to do and what to um, make music that stood up alongside uh, what was in the high street and did our best to take it to the world. You know. Thank you guys. I think we should uh, wrap up. Yeah.